This week I read the story of a cathedral in Europe that was, became famous worldwide because of a stained glass window that towered high above its altar. People came from all over the world to come and see that magnificent stained glass window, nothing like it in the world. But one day a violent storm shattered that beautiful window into a thousand pieces. And the church custodian was so reluctant to throw away the fragments, so he gingerly picked them up and put them in a box and stored them in the basement of the church. A well-known artist came to that church and he petitioned the trustees to give him the fragments and they did not know what he wants to do with them. He took them and went back to his studio and two years later he invited the trustees to come because he was going to unveil some of his major works. And so when they came to their utter amazement, to their astonishment, he unveiled the restored stained glass window. Because it looked more magnificent and looked more beautiful than it ever was before. And I thought when I read this and I said, isn't it incredible how that most of us at some point have experienced the blasting of a storm in our lives in the midst of God's blessing. And if you haven't been there already, or if you are going through that right now, I want to tell you, If you have not already experienced God's restoration act, God's restoration work, you will. And I'll tell you that on the authority of God's word. Because God specializes in restoring fragments of life into a magnificent and more beautiful way of living. God specializes in remaking beauty out of ashes. In life, the blasting and the blessing somehow seem to go hand in hand. In life, the high and the low are closely related. In life, trial and triumph somehow work in very close succession. In fact, that is precisely what is happening at this very point in the life of the man of God, Elijah. And Elijah is only an exhibit A. Here's just an object lesson. We're seeing how God works in life of one of his servants. We saw, first of all, God was hiding Elijah in the brook Cherith. And I told you that often when God hides us, it is in order to humble us. When God hides us, it is to provide for us. When God hides us, it is to protect us. Even though most of us don't like God's hiding places... Even though most of us resent God's hiding places, and yet God's hiding places are the only places in which His promises and His purposes in your life can be truly fulfilled. And then we saw in the last message how God led Elijah to the land of Baal worshiping, to Zarephath. Zarephath, the Phoenician city, the city just south of Lebanon. There, God gave Elijah an opportunity to exercise risking faith. Not only that, but he got him to challenge a pagan woman, a Baal-worshipping woman, a woman who does not know Yahweh. He challenged her, too, to risk in faith. And at the promise of God's man, she also risked in life, trusting in God alone. Zarephath, the city that really means melting, because there they melted metals. And the city used to stink. There God is melting the flesh out of his man. Taking away all the dross of the flesh and purifying him. And here today, we're going to see Elijah. 
the man of God, moving from being tested in a passive way to being tested actively. I know most of us don't like the active testing. I know that because I'm one of you. (laughs) But here we're going to see how in the midst of God's blessings, where the flower keeps coming every day, where the oil just keeps pouring out every day, comes testing and calamity of death. In 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 17, the Phoenician woman and her son and the prophet of God were experiencing a daily miracle, daily blessing, daily provision. God was just giving them daily blessings. And right in the midst of it, we read of how the son of this Phoenician woman, this pagan widow, who risked faith according to the word of God from the mouth of the man of God, We see how her son became ill and then he dies. Now the Hebrew word leaves us in no doubt what it means. The Hebrew word means his soul left him. He was dead as a dodo. I mean there is no fainting. He was dead. Verse 18. The woman said to Elijah. What do you have against me the man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sins and kill my son? Before I get to her anger here I want to tell you something else. If you look at uh, verse 16, you're going to find that verse 17 flows out of verse 16. The two are really connected in the purpose of God. Verse 16 is a picture of Zarephath, the little village in Phoenicia, which had been a place of uninterrupted miracle. Zarephath has been a place of unhampered miracle. New oil every day, new flour every day. When they wake up in the morning, here's a new miracle they faced every day when they woke up. Before they go to sleep at sundown, they've experienced a miracle of God again. Morning and night, a miracle of God is happening. So in verse 16, you read of God's miraculous blessing. And immediately in verse 17, you read of life's tragic blasting all at the same time. And the woman's cry in verse 18 is a very natural cry. I want you to listen to me very carefully, please, because I know that some Christians have mixed up views on this. To ask God why is a very natural thing. And don't ever let anybody or allow yourself to deceive yourself of thinking that you are committing a sin against God when you ask the simple question, why? Why is a natural question. All the great heroes of the Bible have asked why. In the book of Judges chapter 6, when the Midianites came and they're about to decimate the people of Israel, Gideon cried out and he said, why did God allow this to happen? In the book of Job, Job, the man of God who was blessed of God, when he lost his family, when he lost his entire fortune, and he found himself with sores in his body, sitting on a heap of dirt, he cried out to God and he said, why wasn't I born dead? Recall the words of the Lord Jesus when he hung on Calvary. And he asked his father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If God's own son asked why, so don't let people put you under guilt trip when you ask God why. It is a natural question. I know that there are times in life when the highest dreams get crushed. There are times in life when the best of hopes get dashed. There are times in life when you find yourself almost feeling like you're hanging upside down. 
And the natural question at that time, like this widow of Zarephath, God, why? This question must be pounding the doors of heaven from broken-hearted people everywhere. It rises from hospital wards. It rises from lonely bedrooms. And it rises from the grave sites. And it rises from each personal Gethsemane when a troubled soul pleads in private agony. I want you to hear me right, please. I am not talking here about the pain that results from disobedience. I am not talking here about the grief that is the natural consequence of sin and rebellion. I am not talking about the fruit which are the natural fruit of departing from biblical principles and doing it yourself. That's not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about being in the very middle of the will of God. Doing God's work the best way you know how. And suddenly life's blasting seem to be going to blow you away. Many of us I know understand the paradox of this woman. While knowing God's blessings in one area in her life, she was experiencing life's blasting in another area in her life all at the same time. Most preachers don't like to talk about themselves, but somehow I don't mind it at all, especially if it's going to bring glory to God. Because I can tell you very very distinctly that I have experienced that many times in my life. Back in March of 1964, when I finally surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that was in March of that year. In July of that year, my mother, who was my prayer warrior, died at the age of 54. God's blessings and life's blasting. Back in 1990, as we were beginning in this ministry of this church and experiencing the blessings of God and growth in the church and lives being changed. Miracles are happening in our midst. Right in the midst of that year, we had one child in intensive care unit in a very serious condition, but God came in a supernatural way and delivered. And the next week, we checked in another hospital with my wife was having a serious operation. God's blessings and life's blasting somehow seemed to come hand in hand. You do not want to know how I prayed those two weeks. <laughs> it will not edify you. <laughs> Trust me. God's blessings and life's blasting. You know, in verse 12 of First Kings 17, when there was a famine in the land, this woman calmly was going to eat the last piece of bread for her and her son, and both were going to die. Both were dying. And there were calmness in her heart about all this. There was a sense of resignation to that calamity. And then I looked and I began to compare it with verse 18. That intensity, that attack with anger and accusation upon Elijah, the man of God. And I realized one thing. Listen carefully. Our emotions are unpredictable. Our emotions cannot be trusted. Are you hearing me? Our emotions are like a barometric pressure that goes up and it goes down, a totally unreliable. You cannot trust your emotions. The only thing that you can trust when you are in the midst of calamity is the Word of God and the promises of God. Amen belongs here. Amen. But this poor woman, her anger that was directed toward God, lashed it out on Elijah. Elijah was bearing the brunt of her anger toward God. 
I want to tell you, I have experienced it firsthand. Often when people are angry with God, when people are not getting their prayers answered the same way they want it to be answered, they always take it out on the preacher. <laughs> I have files to prove that. <laughs> Oh, me. But I want to tell you something else. Listen carefully, because some of you have been there. When you have a family member or a friend who is angry with God, who's mad with God, who's not getting their way from God, they often take it upon those godly people who are nearest and dearest to them, because you represent God to them. Like this woman, this type of anger is often accompanied with guilt. Watch it next time it happened to you. Look at verse 18. She said, did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? (laughs) Death somehow seemed to help bring up to the surface a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt. I have seen people grieve in funerals. Half they're grieving for their loved ones, but often the other half is that they are Grieving with their own sense of guilt and failure in the face of the inevitability of death. But I want you to understand the way God works. This Baal-worshipping woman did not know Yahweh as she should have in those period of time when Elijah was there. But she tied Yahweh with the same brush as Baal. And you remember in the first message I told you that Baal was a vindictive God. Baal was the god of tit for tat. Baal was the god of blow for blow. This is their perception of that false god that they were worshiping. And she thought Yahweh, the god of heaven and the god of earth, was like Baal. That he is a vindictive god. And because of her guilt and because of her sin, she thought God killed her son. I want to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. This woman's son did not die because of her sin. Like the disciples in John chapter 9 who came to Jesus when they saw the man born blind. And they said to him, they said, has he sinned or his parents sinned so that he was born blind? And Jesus very lovingly said to them, he said, neither he nor his parents, but that God might be glorified. Do you believe that God can be glorified in your calamity? Do you believe that God can be glorified in your desperation? I believe it with all my heart. But you know, we often so quick... To draw conclusions. We're so quick to pass rash judgments. We're so quick to connect between sin and calamity. Only God knows that. But instead, watch and see how God can use all these things to bring glory to his name. Watch him. He wants you to watch him. But I want to get away from this woman and her anger and her guilt Because to me, she represents millions of Americans who live without God, who ignore God, who deny God. Only when they hit a stone in life, only when the life begins to blast, and then they shake their fist at God. (laughs) Amazing. They never comprehended, I guess, how they can be mad with somebody who they don't believe exists. (laughs) But I want you to look at how this man of God reacted I want you to see, what did he do that caused God to perform the very first resurrection that is recorded in the Bible? This is vitally important. Mark it in your Bible. And I have several principles I want to share with you very quickly. The first principle is this, verse 19. 
When she, in anger, accused Elijah, he did not defend himself. He did not try to give her a theological lesson. He did not try to condemn her false view of God. No. He only said four words. Give me your son. That's all he said. He had just been attacked. He had just been assaulted. He had just been reviled. And yet, he knew that this is pain talking. He knew that this is hurt talking. He knew that this is guilt talking. And there are many times when you are in the pit of pain, you lash out at those who are most innocent, often those who are nearest and dearest to you. There is a second principle here I want you to watch, and that's Elijah saved his questioning of God until he was with God alone. You know, the Bible said that you must let your moderation be known to men and your desperation. That's not the word this Bible used, but I'm I'm using it just to to rhyme. (laughs) Your desperation be known to God. And what we often do, we go and make our desperation known to man and our moderation known to God. You got it wrong. (laughs) Reverse the formula. Look at verse 20. When Elijah carried that boy and went upstairs and he said to God, he said, Oh, Lord God, why? Here's that why again. But there's something here I think very significant that I don't want you to miss, please. Elijah never said that downstairs where the unbelieving woman was struggling with those same questions. But I want to tell you at the outset also that verse 20, that prayer of Elijah, it was a bad prayer. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean bad prayer? Elijah, the great prophet of God, the great man of God prayed it. I said, yeah, nonetheless, it's a wrong prayer. Elijah was just as wrong as this widow. But he was perplexed. He was agitated. He must have had fondness for that boy. And his prayers were wrong, but because it accused God of bringing tragedy by causing the widow's son to die. And here's what I want you to hear me say. That God is an awesomely good God. And because God is an awesomely merciful good God, He allows us sometimes to say some very sorry prayers. Especially when we are confused and agitated. When you get frustrated and agitated and and desperate in your prayer, sometimes you pray the wrong way. But I want to tell you this. God is not going to get dizzy and fall off His throne. Because of your wrong prayer. I want to imagine God sometimes in heaven, you know, sitting up there saying, well, I'm not going to take any more of this bad prayer. I'm not going to take it anymore. Can you imagine God doing that? Can you imagine the precious Lord doing that? No, I can't. God is an infinitely merciful God. Then there's a third principle, and it is this. Your intense persistence In praying according to the will of God makes a difference. Now, I don't mean you're going to pull off a resurrection. I don't mean that. But when you have nothing left except God, when you have stripped yourself of everything except God, when you have taken hold of the horns of the altar and persisted in prayer, your prayers will make a difference. And there's a fourth principle here that in the life of Elijah of how God works. Elijah went to the place where he met God on a daily basis. Elijah went to the prophet's chamber 
where he communed with God on a regular basis. Elijah went upstairs to the place where has already been sanctified by the hours and hours that he spent on his knees praying and communing with God. So when calamity struck, when calamity came, he took that calamity to that place. Let me ask you this. Do you have a place where you meet God every day? Do you have a place that is set aside so that when calamity strikes, you know where to go with it? Look at verse 21. And I want you to sense the intensity by which this man of God prayed. Just sense that intensity. The Bible said he stretched himself upon the boy three times. Do you know what that means? Do you know why he did this? Do you want to know why he did this? I haven't got the foggiest idea why he did this. <laughs> Somebody tried to tell me, it said Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three times. And I said, Bible doesn't tell me. I only tried to tell you what the scripture says. This is the first resurrection ever recorded in the Word of God. Elijah didn't have a manual that he can go to and turn to page 97, section C, subsection D, raising a Gentile boy from the dead. No. <laughs> he didn't have a manual to go by. He didn't know what to do. I am convinced in my own heart as I lived with that passage that I think the old man was so brokenhearted that he was weeping. He did not know what to do. He did not know what else to do. And he said, I do whatever it takes. And as if he is trying to pass his own vitality upon the boy. Listen carefully, please. This is a picture of the kind of prayer that does something with God. In this humble home of a Phoenician, Gentile, Baal, worshipping widow. God did the first recorded resurrection in the word of God. It wasn't in Jerusalem, and it wasn't in Galilee. It was in Zarephath. God wants to answer the prayer of an obedient heart. You know, when James said, the prayer of the righteous availeth much, as he's saying, the prayer of the obedient availeth with God. And this woman risked everything for God, a God that she did not know. And do you think God is not going to honor her risking in faith? As I conclude, I want you to notice a couple of things. I want you to notice how restrained the word of God is. The Bible said the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life restored to him. And he lived. Period. That's it. That's it. Imagine if the modern movie makers were making a movie of this scene. You know, they have thousands of extras and they have angels singing and trumpets blowing and they would have all those things. And, but that's not the way God's word is presented to us. There were no showmanship. There were no television cameras. There were no fundraising gimmicks. The boy didn't write a book, a best-selling book about how, what I saw on the other side of death. It's man's way. It's man's way. God's way is very simple. You don't have to try to convince anyone when it is the word of God. You don't have to explain it away. You don't have to defend it. Martin Luther, I think, is the one who said that defending the Bible is like trying to defend a lion. 
And this is the secret of the authority of the word of God. This is how you know that it is the word of God. It is unexplainable. It is unexplainable. It simply says God did it. What did the unbelieving woman's testimony was? God did it. She said, now I know that you are God's man. Why? Because she saw the reality, the intensity, and the integrity of faith on the fire. She testified to the word of God when she said, I know that the word of the Lord is from your mouth. Did you know that this woman was honored later on in the New Testament? Not only that Jesus used her as the first text of his first public sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, but he, it is also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where the lists of the saints and the hall of fame, the saints' hall of fame, the big pros, Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, this woman gets included. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 35, he talks about women receiving back their dead, raised to life again. This woman, whose name we do not know, made the roll call of faith for all time. She came to know the living God. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.